Hey guys, welcome back again to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. We're now at episode 16 as we kick off the month of April here in 1996. This is Ray Russell along with Steve Ekstat. Steve, welcome back to another edition of Monday Warfare. What's up, man? What's going on, buddy? Uh, we're, we're here in the fallout of WrestleMania 12, and we're getting ready to go with April now. It's going to be a long month, uh, but there's no Nitro for the second week of April, so we're only doing one Nitro this week and two episodes Monday Night Raw. We're going to see how Vince capitalizes here when we get to the April 8th week. But before we can get there, Steve, we've got to go through WrestleMania 12 results, and uh, you guys can pretty soon go to over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check out our version, the watch-along version of WrestleMania 12, but for here on the Monday Warfare Show, quick results. The free-for-all saw the Body Donnas over the Godwins to win the tag team titles in the finals of the tournament with a little help and distraction from Sonny. Match went 5 minutes, 22 seconds. Six-man tag team action kicked off the pay-per-view. It's the Bulldog, Owen Hart and Vader over Jake the Snake Roberts, Yokozuna, and Ahmed Johnson in 13 minutes and 8 seconds. Jake planted Owen Hart with a DDT, but it was Vader's Vader bomb that defeated the Snake Man in the end. Stone Cold Steve Austin over Savio Vega after nailing Vega with the million-dollar title belt and then locking in the million-dollar dream. Match went 10 minutes and 5 seconds. We saw the return of the Ultimate Warrior over Triple H in rapid fashion in a minute and 39 seconds. The Undertaker defeated Diesel 16 minutes, 46 seconds, with the Tombstone, making the Undertaker now 5-0 and at WrestleMania. And, of course, this was a two-part match on the pay-per-view. It was Roddy Piper, I guess you could say over Goldust, in a backlot brawl, of course, the first part of the match took place earlier in the pay-per-view as part of the backlot where they really beat the living shit out of each other, Steve. They really did, to the point where Roddy Piper actually broke his hand and it was it had to have it put in a cast because this was filmed several weeks prior to the actual pay-per-view. And then when they had to come and work at the pay-per-view, Piper had to break the cast in order to give the appearance that this was all live. Everything was happening all in the same day. Of course, Piper gets gold dust into the ring. And strips him down to some lingerie, and Goldie finally runs off after Piper has his way with him. Not that way. Keep your mind out of the gutter, everybody. But Roddy Piper technically wins that match. Those segments combined, they went 10 minutes and 6 minutes, about 16 minutes of action. And finally, the Iron Man main event. Shawn Michaels captured the WWF title from Bret Hart after a super kick during sudden death overtime. Total time of the match went 1 hour, 1 minute, and 56 seconds. And we're going to touch on that right now. At least we're going to touch on Bret Hart. As the plans, at least Vince's plan initially, was for Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart to have a rematch at SummerSlam in Cleveland, Ohio on August the 18th. Vince had even suggested maybe a ladder match here. But in any case, the WWF higher-ups did want Michaels to once again go over clean at SummerSlam. And Bret Hart had no intention of returning at any time in the foreseeable future, particularly to put Michaels over is the story here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, when he's playing those games that uh, kind of started it all. It's kind of a foreshadow to what happens next year. Not to this degree, but to an extent. I can't say I get it at this point, um, unless Brett knows the future. I don't know if there's any heat between the two at this point. I don't think there is that I know of just yet. But I have a feeling Brett probably always sensed that he would never get this in return. So that's probably why he's apprehensive of putting... Sean over clean twice because he knows he's never getting it back in his mind. At least he thinks that I'm sure. So uh, I get it to that extent, but it's kind of surprising that it's right after mania. I knew he was gone, but yeah, he had Hollywood on his mind, I guess. 
Yeah, I know he does like the UK tour, the Germany tour, something like that, right after WrestleMania, and then he is absolutely gone for quite a while. So Survivor yeah. Series time. Right, right. So I'm not necessarily shocked that Bret Hart refused to do the job twice in a row for someone, but that's another story. I mean, for it makes sense day. To, to a degree. <laughs> I, I get it. Like, it's like, uh, it's kind of like what he mentioned in his promo, you know, uh, he saw Savage as the guy that he had overtaken. Once he overtook him, he never wanted to look back. And now it feels like if you job clean twice in a row to Sean, even though there's stops in between, I, I get it. But the last two times they fought, he lost clean. That basically signifies to everybody that Sean's the new guy. He's the old guy. It's time to move on, and he's not ready, I guess. So it makes sense to it to a degree as far as like a personal standpoint, business standpoint. Who cares? They can build you back up whenever they need you need to. So it, that stuff never made sense to me as far as the actual business goes. Yeah, if you have faith in your talent as a main eventer, which Bret Hart has the right to, Doing two jobs in a row, especially that far apart, like you pointed out, and in really good matches, nobody's paying attention necessarily to the winner and loser per se. You can always build Brett right back up, like you said, moving on once once he goes back to that level. I mean, Brett did spend a whole year feuding with fucking dentists and pirates and things, and he wasn't he didn't have a problem with that, I guess, because he was going over the whole time. Um, so yeah. he couldn't get couldn't fall too far back down. But I mean, it's just uh, I, I don't know. I don't get these guys refusing to do jobs and things. I don't understand it either. I, I never have. It doesn't matter who it is, whether I like you or not. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, if, Like you said, if you're good, your talent's going to always rise to the top, and you're going to overcome any shit booking. And if they call your number again, you'll be ready. You'll take the ball. You'll run with it, and you'll be just fine. Like Yeah, and as you'll not- see by 97, it was Bret Hart's time again, uh, not just to be champion, but to be at that main event level. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I don't know. I don't understand it. I'm not a wrestler, so I guess I'm not around. The, I've never been exposed to the insides of the business, so I don't get it. But it seems like this is normal because there's a lot of people that feel this yeah. way. And, and it's not uh, everyone. I mean, Rick Flair, Rick Flair will job to, you know, anyone. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's certain people that, I mean, I think, I don't know if that's always been the case. I can't say that that's always been the case for Flair because he never wanted a job to Luger ever. Um <laughs> I think he's even on the record saying he's never he would never lose the title to Luger for whatever reason. But I think at some point in your career, you're established. You're good. It doesn't matter what happens to you. Like everybody, when Shawn Michaels came back after the, after that initial you know year or two, he started losing to everybody, but nobody cared. Every right. time he got in the next angle, like they loved it. They loved it. Whether it was Jericho, Taker, Randy Orton, whoever it was, Kurt Angle. They didn't care if he was going to lose at the end. They just wanted to see Shawn Michaels in a feud with somebody. Just give me a good match. That's really at the end of the day. Exactly. And I just don't get it. I don't understand why it's hard for people to wrestlers to accept that that's their role now. Right. I don't know. Well, Brett takes some time away and he does come back. We all know the story. I'm not talking about Montreal. I'm just talking about we know the story. He comes back and has quite a run with Steve Austin and eventually, you know, has quite a run with the whole Canada and USA bit as well coming up. We'll have to we get to live through all of that. So it'll be my first time in a long time. I love it. I love it. Mm. I I don't (laughs) conflicting. I know. I know. I know that's the popular opinion. I know everybody loved that era, but that was kind of where. I lost interest a little bit, to be honest with you. So I'm I'm curious to watch it with fresh eyes here so many years later. But that's a ways yeah, I think, away. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just say this real quick. Sure. Uh, that's my yeah. favorite part of the Attitude Era. Okay. Uh, I, 
Once well, I think once Bret Hart leaves, like re watching wise, uh, mm-hmm. once ninety seven's over, it's tough for me. Right. And it's no it's no knock on Bret Hart. I just love the crowds from ninety seven. There's some oh, about yeah, I can't deny I, I can't deny the crowds. Phenomenal. Yeah. yeah and uh certainly. And it's ev- it's every aspect. It's the entire show. It's not just one or two guys getting those pops. Mm-hmm. It's everything. Like they're right. nuts, and uh, you don't really get that in '98. You just get the Austin pops and things. But right, uh, I'm excited for '97. Yeah, we still got a long way to go before we get there, but it will be interesting. Well, we I, so I'm actually very things. intrigued because <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a long way to go. But I'm actually very intrigued myself. I I haven't you know there's a lot of those those raws that I, I probably didn't even watch straight through even then. So I might be seeing some things for the very first time ever. Uh, but we'll move on here. We're in April now. It's a uh, fallout from WrestleMania just the day before. We're on Monday Night Raw live in San Bernardino, California, in front of 3,000 people paid. This is April 1st. This is the post-Mania Raw. And this is where we debut the new Tornado WWF logo opening. It's still gray here. They haven't, haven't colorized it yet. Still dull gray as we kick things off with Bob Sparkplug Holly. Start your engines! In the ring, taking on the debuting Mankind who makes his way out. Just a creepy feeling here as Mankind makes his debut, pulling his hair out during his entrance. As ringside smart marks chant, he's hardcore, he's hardcore. So we know a few people out there have been following ECW. Mankind with a hot shot to Bob Holly on the apron. Back inside, he ties Bob Holly into the tree of woe and hits a running elbow drop in the corner. I love that spot. And then it's the mandible claw that finishes Holly off in only three minutes and 19 seconds. Foley just ate Bob Holly up here, and he should have, as he should have. Holly usually gets his typical comeback, his drop kicks, maybe a cross body block, things like that. None of that here. This was Mankind's debut, and he got over. Holly even does the selling with the foaming at the mouth from the Mandible Claw post-match. And I noted here, because I'd forgotten, this has been so long since I really watched this era. I liked how Mankind came in with that creepy music, and then he leaves to that soothing piano music because now he's soothed. He's soothed himself by dismantling Bob Holly here. What'd you think? <laughs> that was great. I'm not a Mick Foley fan. Um, you'll hear that probably a million times by the time we're done <laughs> with uh, this this uh, podcast. Uh, not this one in particular, just the entire run here. But um, I- I'm not a fan of him in particular, but like, I kind of spoil my notes for like my favorite segment, um, it, it's when he came out and he did what he did, it just felt like, okay, the WWF's different. Uh, even in the match with Bob Holly, like just something about it. He just stood out. He was so unique and different. I know th- there's crazy gimmicks that come and gone throughout the years before we got to this point, but there's mm-hmm. something about like my friend hyped the shit out of cactus Jack. And I knew of cactus Jack, uh, going into this, like I seen the, <laughs> I think it's a uh, Slambury 94, the fight with um, in Philly with the nasty oh, yeah. boys and Max Payne and David Schultz is the ref from mm. the Flyers. So I, um, I've seen plenty of Cactus Jack leading up to this and he was crazy. And so like seeing him here in this gimmick, I, I don't know what it is. I can't really put my finger on it. It just, just feels like there's something different about the WWF starting right now with him. And uh, it's really, really cool. Yeah, another big thing, and we'll get to that by the end of the show, is Undertaker is going to be forced to actually, well, not forced, he's going to be allowed to actually work a little more than, than his typical yeah, God for that. character. Yeah, uh, Followed that up, another debut we saw at WrestleMania was the debut of Johnny B. Bad, who is now going by his real name of Mark Marrow. He made his debut in a backstage segment where he got into it with Triple H. So Triple H gets murdered by the Warrior, 
and then turns around and gets beat up by Johnny B. Bad as well, all on the same night. Bad night for Triple H here, as the wild man, Mark Merrow, makes his in-ring debut here, taking on Isaac Yankum, of all people. I noted that Mark Merrow doesn't have his wildcat-type music yet here, and it's definitely not Johnny B. Bad-level music at all. No. I, I put, uh, this music sucks for Merrow. Johnny B. Bad, it is not. <laughs> no. And he has, like, no entrance gear, playing, like, black trunks. Yeah, it's like they just signed him, and they had no idea what to do with him yet. He didn't know what a wild man was yet. He was still going to figure it out, I guess. He was working on it, yeah. We know he will, because he's constantly evolving in the ring and everything. At least he was as Johnny B. Bad, so I'm interested to see. I know he does. He gets it in at some point soon, hopefully, but... I didn't. I don't remember this actual version of Mark Merrill. I didn't realize he just had this shit music and nothing entrance. And I yeah, always thought he just caught me off guard as well. And, yeah, caught me off guard the, as well. Pyro, and I thought it was big time, but I guess not. <laughs> so we see Sable. Of course, everyone knows that's his wife at this time, but it's not uh, what's been being told to us on TV. She was actually the valet of Triple H at WrestleMania, and he, Triple H kind of blames Sable for his loss to the Warriors, squash loss to the Warrior. And that's when Merrow came to her rescue. She's sitting here ringside watching this Mark Merrow match. As the match gets going, I noted this was a shit choice for an opponent for Mark Merrow's debut. Someone the size of Isaac Yankum to be taking all of these high-flying type spots for Mark Merrow. It just didn't work out. We saw uh, Merrow dropkick Yankum out to the floor. Hits the somersault plancha. Back inside, he tries for that slingshot leg drop into the ring. But it was a little sloppy and a little off. But you have to notice... The WWF ropes are completely different from WCW. Now, I'm not making excuses for Mero, but when he's used to doing all of these springboard or slingshot type maneuvers, now they're working with real ropes. These are no longer cable cords with garden hose wrapped around it or whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is this is real life ropes. So a little bit of a different di- uh, different give, if you will. There, match keeps going, and bad with a tilt to whirl head scissors on a seven foot. Kane. I said Kane should not be taking these bumps. These look absolutely ridiculous. All of these guys on the roster, and this is who you feed to Mark Marrow here. Triple uh, H who finally you put in here. I, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to see a list. Maybe I, I, one, don't, I don't know either. I don't know either. There's I think gotta maybe be Leaf Cassidy. Sure, you could do Marty, Leaf Cassidy. You could do a there's a slew yeah. of guys that are much smaller that could be taking these bumps for him. Absolutely. I mean th- one of the job guys. Even, you know, uh, yeah, any, anybody's better than Kane. He's seven foot tall. It just, Kane should not be taking tilt to world head scissors. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. Triple H comes down ringside. He tries to get Sable back into his good graces, but she's not having any of it. It distracts Mark Merrow, allows Isaac Yankum to take over briefly, but Merrow comes back with a kiss that don't miss. The left hook, baby. And a sunset flip from the top rope ends this. Merrow gets the win four minutes, 25 seconds. Basically a squash against the seven foot... Isaac Yankum, post-match, Triple H tries to steal Sable, but she slaps him away. Sable once again going to leave with the wild man. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they, they a better opponent. It was pretty sloppy. So I'm assuming the ropes are safer in WCW uh, or easier. Easier to spring off of, easier to get more things like that. Yeah. They just look more They look more crisp and better uh, than WWF ropes. But uh, I can see how that could be a problem. Uh, you're used to a certain feel, and then all of a sudden, you don't have that same feel anymore. You don't have that spring. Yeah, all all in all, he looked okay. Uh, there's definitely something there as far as in ring. We know that, and uh, I, I like the gimmick with Sable. It works. I, I really think it does initially. Uh, this is where I noticed though. This crowd is really hot. 
Yes. And um, for three thousand people, I, yes. I never really realized it, but you know, this is like a post-mania crowd. Those guys are probably still in town. I know it may be a little bit of a drive, but it feels like there's some of those guys still in town that were in town for Mania, and they're getting the raw tapings in because, yeah, like getting, you said, getting a he's hardcore, hardcore chant. Team. Yeah, and it's a, it was a small yeah. smattering. It wasn't a large group of people, but yeah. clearly somebody's made the trip. There wasn't a lot of yeah. ECW on California television, I wouldn't think, back in, in early 96. Not in 90, not 96. So um, definitely feels like one of those post-mania crowds that we're all accustomed to now, but this was happening back in 96. Right. So uh, I never really noticed it until until now. The, the show goes on, and we get a video of the Ultimate Warrior. We learn he will return to Monday night, or he will return to WWF TV next week. And I thought that was very smart to save that for next week when there's no Nitro. Good job there by Vince and company. We get a weird segment with Ed, Ed Bigley Jr., of all people. He's hosting some weekly World News April Fool's special after Raw. I wrote, what the fuck is this? I don't remember this. I have no idea what this oh, is. Yeah. I have. It was... I don't. I don't get it. Did you watch the network version? Which one did you? Yeah, I had to, right? I have no idea. I have. Uh, I have my original I, and the network, so I'm not sure what I did there. To be honest with you, I probably I watched if the that's original. On the network. Hate to throw anybody off if it's not, but it's there, and I'm just like, what <laughs> the hell is this? I, I just fast forward through it. I didn't know what the <laughs> hell it was. <laughs> Dude on his bike. Back to the ring. We get brand new tag team champions. The body Don is out with Sunny. She's the new Missy, by the way, Steve. He's t- they're taking on Barry Horowitz and the Portuguese man of war Aldo Montoya. We see clips of the body Donna's over the Godwins during the free-for-all to win the tag team titles, but we learn there will be a rematch at the upcoming In Your House pay-per-view. At this point, Sonny has also lost the body Donna's gears. She's now wearing whatever the hell she wants. As the match gets going, it's Skip, who is familiar with Barry Horowitz. They go face-to-face, but the babyface gets some basic offense in early, until a blind tag to Skip allows him to knee Aldo Montoya from behind, and then they steal a page out of the old Midnight Express with a double flapjack on the Man O' War. Skip winds up getting suplexed to the floor, and I wrote, holy fuck, they gave Aldo a crossbody to the outside. That looked nice. I thought he did a really good job with the crossbody from the ropes to the floor onto Skip. As the match continues, Horowitz gets tagged in, does the old three-quarter Nelson pinfall on Skip, the same move he used to beat him last summer. But Sonny distracts referee Jack Doan, and it's only a two count. Aldo makes the tag back inside, but Skip with a German suplex for a near fall. Montoya tries a Hurricane Rana, but Skip counters into a powerbomb. And then Skip sends Aldo to the top rope with a Hurricane Rana from the top. And Zip tags in right away with the bombs away butt drop from the top rope. Nice double team finisher there by the body gunners. Pick up the win in five and a half minutes. Yeah, the finish was definitely cool. I liked it. Uh, this wasn't a bad match. Uh, the body Donnas can work. They know what they're doing. Skip's criminally underrated. So um, I, I really like Candido. Good stuff here. And yeah, hey, did you know that Sonny won best buns? Did she? Slammies? I would have, I would have never have guessed. I thought it was going to be Yoko. Well, that's good to know. They only told you 46 times. Yeah. From, from <laughs> exactly. bell to bell here. Yeah. Well, that in the uh, slammy. Yeah. I, I kind of figured it out. Yeah. I was like, good God. And she manager of the year. Yeah, well, that that creeped me out a little bit, considering they debuted in May and he lost to Barry Horowitz by July, and somehow Sonny's still manager of the year, managing Skip for that period of time. But but uh, uh, maybe right. she has other assets that got her that vote. Who knows? Maybe see, maybe she swayed the vote. She hmm, persuaded the judges how did, somehow. How did she do that? As we see, 
Bob Backlund still in the crowd, still getting paid to do absolutely nothing, campaigning for his presidency of the United States. Boy, that would have been something else. Promo time. Oh, here it is. Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon ejiculates the name. Shawn Michaels to the ring. The new WWF champion. I forgot what you wrote down earlier. I think that was the other one. Oh, okay. That's why. No, no, it was this one. Okay. The opening where they they did the video montage of WrestleMania 12 at the very start of the show. Okay. He's like, we got to live through the ecstasy of, <laughs> uh, of, a, of the lifelong dream coming true. There's some other parts in it, like the agony of defeat. We got to live through the ecstasy of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And, and I was like, are you kidding me? The ecstasy. I love of the, the, the thrill of ecstasy oh my in my ass. <laughs> oh, Lord. But Sean talks his click, the fans. He thanks the fans for years. We've heard about the hitman, the excellence of execution, the best there is, was, ever will be. Well, last night, Brett made a believer out of Sean. I call bullshit. Sean says he will always, Brett will always be a champion in Sean's eyes. Wow, he's really putting it on thick now. Sean promises to wear the WWF title with the honor, dignity, and class of Bret Hart. Wow. And Sean says the hunt is finally over, but now Sean is the hunted. First in line is Jerry Lawler. What a choice. Next week on Raw, Diesel will join for commentary during that match. Sean's going to send the Burger King back to his White Castle. Nice pun. And by the way, Sean says Diesel, they make good friends but better enemies. And in your house, Sean will take on Diesel one final time. Sean and the Click will dance all over your face. And that closes out that segment. Sean Michaels with Lawler next week on Raw. The thing is, there's White Castle is only it's not even world. It's not even countrywide. So uh, uh, those people in San Francisco are probably like, "What the hell is White Castle?" Crystals in other Bernardino. places. And, yeah. I don't even know if they have crystals. I have no idea. Because <laughs> I have a friend. I have Jack a friend in a box. California. <laughs> I have a friend out in California whose dad lived in New York, and he swore by White Castle. He loves White Castles, and they were going to make a trip cross country. Jeez. Uh, just to, what to a go disappointment. Back, not, 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 not for White Castle. To go back to New York and like, oh, okay. show him where he lived. And uh, like my, his dad hyped up White Castle like they're the greatest things ever. Oof. And uh, For those who don't have one, you're blessed. <laughs> No, nah, I love me some White Castle <laughs> every me, once in a while. Makes me want to vomit. Uh, they, you know, they closed all of ours down a few, like five, ten years ago. So we don't have them anymore here. But, uh, it's uh, still we, big we had here. Once a time. Where I'm at, it's funny. Like I don't want to get too lost on White Castle, but uh, <laughs> we used to only have them like an hour away. And so when somebody's like, "Let's do a White Castle run," it meant something. And uh, now we got them. Like there's probably three or four uh, close by. One of them's like right off an exit where there's nothing but truck stops, and uh, that place gets lit up, man. <laughs> so, All I know uh, is I I, 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 uh, I don't know what happened. I ate them as a kid, but by the time I was an adult, I couldn't do it. I think it's the only food that even when I was drunk and coming back from the bar, I was like, oh, I can't wait to eat these, and then I still couldn't eat them. I don't know. It's just something. Oh, man, I, I love them. <laughs> They're not something you can eat every week or every day. You know, maybe <laughs> once or twice a year, and you're good. Uh, sometimes you get the crave. There you go. Uh, 
Speaking of craving, you like you like to collect your merch. How about this merch here, Steve? Uh, Purchase the Sean No, oh, the Sean Michaels signed WrestleMania mat plaque, only 4800 made. Comes with a piece of the actual WrestleMania 12 mat. Uh they note that there's a different picture than the one you see here because they haven't got the new picture in yet. $50 for this mat plaque, uh, 4800 made. That's a That's a steal. Some of these came like some of them come with like a COA, some of the later ones. I think there's one from I want to say WrestleMania 20 with Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. Uh, they're, they're separate ones for their title wins or whatever. And they, a COA comes signed by Linda McMahon saying this oh, is authentic. So I've she's the say, one who signs off on him. I've got to say that's very unique for the time that, that they came up with this. They'd never done anything like that before. It took me a little bit to go. Only 50 bucks. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's insane. I figured, I'm <laughs> thinking $100 for that at least in yeah. 96. That thing probably worth about five or six hundred dollars right now. Sean's autograph isn't worth that much, but the fact is, there's only forty eight hundred of them, and it has the map plus the whole uniqueness of a full WrestleMania twelve piece. Yeah, you think they use the real mat? Do you think they use the real mat? Well, Mexican <laughs> Doc says we they took the mat down, they rolled it, and then they started cutting it into pieces. Well, that's what Doc said. That's the last guy I'm listening to. I'll tell you that. You know how cool it would be? I don't know if you collect cards, but you get those patches and you get like a good part of the logo. Yeah. Um, Like I have one of Allen Iverson and Andre Iguodala that had like the full star from the 76ers jerseys, which is really cool. So like if you got that matte plaque and you actually got a part where it says like the 12 or or whatever because that matte had that. For whatever reason, that show, I think that's right. why I believe that it was the mat because they did have that WrestleMania 12 on the mat itself that they never right. had on any other show. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they knew ahead of time that's why they wanted to do it. So if you got one of those pieces that had a piece of the actual logo, oh, you hit it big on that one. Yeah, that was, that was like one of the few things of that time period that I was kind of intrigued about, but that was way out of my pay grade for a wrestling piece, piece of wrestling <laughs> merchandise oh, yeah. in 1996. But we go on, and it's back to the ring with The Undertaker, who's coming off the match with Diesel, and he's selling the injuries here. He's not looking 100% here. He's definitely putting Diesel over by selling his injuries as he comes to the ring with Paul Bearer to take on Justin Hawk Bradshaw, accompanied by Uncle Zebekiah, or I guess he's just Zebekiah here. Really selling the Taker injuries as we get going, Bradshaw attacks and dominates The Undertaker all the way into a commercial break. And back from break, it's Bradshaw with the top rope shoulder block on The Undertaker. But he makes the mistake of going up again. And this time Bradshaw's caught into a power slam. As the Undertaker makes a comeback, he whips JBL into the buckle. But JBL comes bouncing out with the Lariat. And down goes the Taker. But instead of instead of going for the cover, they continue the match. As the Undertaker then ducks a clothesline and comes back with his patented flying clothesline. Choke slam and tombstone. But before the Undertaker can pin Bradshaw. It's Mankind. He returns and attacks The Undertaker, causing a disqualification. In six and a half minutes, Mankind attacks The Undertaker, sends him to the floor, throws him into the steps. Undertaker takes a nice bump over the steps, as usual. And then Mankind, of course, sets Taker up in the aisleway for the running elbow off the apron right onto the concrete. Then it's the mandible claw, not once, but twice. And as he continues to pummel Taker in the aisle, and the crowd is in complete silence. For this entire beatdown, they've never seen anything like this before. That was the Undertaker that he just manhandled in a very 
eerie way. I mean, this wasn't Kamala splashing the Undertaker or the giant Gonzalez doing whatever the fuck he did at Royal Rumble 93 to the Undertaker. Are you like that Undertaker? You know, put him in the corner, <laughs> smash his leg in the post. This was somebody who's capable of doing moves and flying elbows into the concrete and mandible claws and this crazy guy. And it was just a different level of taking out the Undertaker that we had never seen before. Yeah, this was this is one guy taking out the Undertaker. Normally, we didn't see that. Even Yokozuna, how big he was, it took ten guys just to get Taker in a, a casket for Yoko to win. So you you never really saw Undertaker just get demolished by one dude by himself. That that felt like okay, this is yeah, I've never seen this before. You know, you, he, somebody might catch him off guard and he's down, but he gets up and walks away. We didn't really see that here. They did an excellent job of him just staying laid laid out. You don't see the recovery. You don't see any of that. You just kind of – the show kind of just goes off with him sitting in the mandible claw and laying down on the floor. So I thought they did an excellent job of just really emphasizing just how dangerous mankind is. And that elbow shot, it's like one of the most, one of the most infamous shots that you see in this era. They use it all the time. I don't know if they knew it was coming or what. But it seems like that person who was on the camera just got on the ground and was looking up, and you can see like both sides of the guardrail, the steps, and then all of a sudden you see mankind crashing into the floor on top of Taker. It's such a perfect shot, perfect camera, perfect everything. This is this is how you make an impact with a new guy. Um, he killed Bob Holly early on in the show. You kind of felt the gimmick was coming because they hyped how Bradshaw was undefeated, and you don't really just want to throw him in there to get jobbed out by Taker right away like he's only been on tv once or twice so i know that i really do anything with him but you that's kind of dumb to talk about how he's undefeated if nothing's going to happen so i kind of i knew it was coming obviously but just really really good excellent excellent booking yeah and i think uh you know the, the moves fully uses here their next level offense like this was not offense you saw in the wwf at the time so it's yeah. It just felt completely different. Like when, when I hate to go back to the giant Gonzalez, but when the giant Gonzalez took the undertaker out, he didn't really do anything to him. He just kind of ugly chops and chops. And yeah. And this was definitely not, this was everything. The opposite of the giant Gonzalez attack here in uh, 1996. The only only thing with giant Gonzalez was just the size. Okay. Somebody is bigger than the undertaker. That's really what that was. But this this is a normal guy. Like I know we don't really know him outside of his his vignettes, and then the one match with Bob Holly, and he's just coming in and dominating the Undertaker, and then that mandible claw. I remember hating that move when I was a kid. Like you seen earlier, Holly foaming at the mouth. I think even Undertaker was foaming at the mouth, and they came back from commercial after he was done right before he got it the second time. You see the white saliva on mm-hmm. his lips, which you never really seen from Undertaker before. So they really, really put that hold over and. Immediately, when I'm a kid, I'm thinking, okay, as soon as he locks that in, it's over. Like, I wanted to try it on my friend and see if it really does that. Yeah, and somebody needs <laughs> so, to teach Vince what the move is, because the way he described it during the Bob Holly match was that Mankind was taking his fingers and sticking them down the throat of Bob Holly and not underneath the tongue in the actual nerve uh, underneath the tongue there. Doesn't <laughs> he change it to the gullet or whatever he says? Doesn't he write in the gullet? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. What I think he does at some point. It's yeah, really quick. Right now, go <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's where it comes <laughs> Segment from. of the night, Steve. Was it Mark Marrow's debut? Mankind's debut? The HBK promo? The Body Donna Showcase match? Or the Taker Mankind Showdown at the end of the show? I'm just going to give it to Mankind. 
Okay. Uh, I thought his that's match was enough. good. Um, uh, that's that kind of just establishes what you're dealing with. Uh, I, like I said earlier, I was going to give away my notes. He's a tone setter, and it, to me, it just changed the game as far as the WWF goes. Right. You even mentioned in the Aldo Montoya match, like he's doing a crossbody off the middle rope to the floor. You didn't really see that very much from lower level guys. Like th- those moves are kind of reserved for the top flight guys that would want to do them. Whereas now it seems like they're opening it up a little bit. Go out there and do what you do. Who cares? Right. Like Mar Marrow doing the Marrow salt or whatever. So I mean, it, it just feels like. Tonight, this show, April 1st, 1996, was the day that the WWF changed for the better, uh, at least for a while. For a little while, Uh, yeah, for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, I can't really put my finger on it. You know, the hardcore wrestling, the deranged gimmick, it just felt like he ushered in that ECW type of style that we know Vince Vince stole, uh, took a lot of that and just enhanced it. Right, and um, this is what ushered it in. It was mankind, and um, it just made the WWF feel different. And it's crazy to think that one guy can do that, but uh, he definitely did. Yeah, I'm in total agreement. I mean, it's definitely the mankind segments. Like you want to, if you want to lump them together, we can lump them together. I one one goes hand in hand with the other one. He's at the beginning of the show and the end of the show, so you don't forget about him. Yep. I would, I, I would, I think I would have gave, I wouldn't gave the nod to Mark Marrow had he had a full gimmick here. But I think I would have been more happy with Mark Merrill had he been able to just be Johnny B. Bad. Obviously, that's not going to happen, though. So, um, But, yeah, I don't think I would ever give it to anyone other than this Mankind segment. Just changed the game, really, in the WWF. Mm-hmm. And over on TNT and WCW Monday Nitro for April 1st, we're in Cleveland, Ohio. 7,000 fans in attendance, but only 3831 paid. And I wrote, what a weird-ass start to the show, Steve. As we're standing in the ring with Sting and Giant kind of looking, eyeballing one another. And we just saw the Giant turn babyface last week. But clearly, over the week, booking plans have changed. And we're right in the middle of a storyline as the show gets kicking off. It's supposedly supposed to be Sting and the Giant taking on the Harlem Heat. But the match doesn't happen. We're told, we didn't see this yet, that Jimmy Hart paid off Harlem Heat prior to the show going on there to leave ringside. And then Jimmy Hart paid off the giant to turn back heel. Jesus Christ. Eric Bischoff has to explain all of this in like rapid fire fire. (laughs) As soon as the show gets going without any video and without any backstory, Eric Bischoff's trying to explain this as the show gets going. And somehow now it's going to be sting versus the giant. And I wrote after a well-written turn last week, this, this Steve, Clearly, I don't know if it's Hulk Hogan. No, brother, he's staying heel. Or somebody else decided something here, but they did a great job turning the giant heel. Great story to turn him heel on Kevin Sullivan, or turn him babyface, sorry, on, on Kevin Sullivan and the horsemen and all that good stuff last week. And now this week, he's turned back heel, and we don't even see it happen. Oh, uh, Lord. I will say it was, it was cool to open with them in the ring. Mm-hmm. So I, I did like that, but the cluster for why they are in the ring squaring off definitely sucks. I, I, again, it was different. You never really seen, you always, you never had a hot open. It was always a cold open with it. You know, you're all whatever. It, it didn't happen very often where you just, the show comes on and there's dudes in the ring about to square off the bells about the ring. You're like, Oh shit. What did I miss something? It was, what's going on. So just, that was cool. But the story is ridiculous. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you have news notes on this later on. I don't know, but it, 
it gets even worse. The the payoffs is one thing, but then it just gets worse uh, <laughs> as you go talk about the match. So uh, we can get to that, and then we'll just kind of sum it up here. Sure. So when we when we cut to Nitro, when Nitro kicks off, it's Sting and the Giant staring at each other across the ring. Jimmy Hart's jumping around. He's happy. He's, he's purchased the Giant, bought him back off, apparently. And Sting knows there's trouble, so he actually spits on the Giant. And then he lights him up, and the Giant begins to no-sell. As Sting bounces off the Giant while he tries a crossbody, and rolls to the floor. Giant then presses Sting back in the ring. Giant climbs up onto the apron. He tries to choke slam, but Sting drop kicks him off back to the floor. I thought that was a fun spot. And then it's That's Lex cool. Luger to the aid of Sting, just slides in the ring to back Sting up in the middle of a match. And the Giant wins by countout in two minutes, or no, sorry, by disqualification in two minutes and 41 seconds. Jimmy Hart even yells at Luger, his own charge. You'll be sorry. Big issue with these weird-ass finishes and no announcement lately. And again, I'm just guessing the Giant won by DQ. I really don't know. I have no idea. It was a decent match. Sting, you know, we went right to the legs, um, tried to get him down and and do things like that. So it was like it was actually a decent match going uh, for a little bit. I love the bounce off the crossbody. The Giant just stood there. Sting ate it. It was a really cool spot. And then they go to the outside, they do that dropkick thing, and Luger just comes in out of nowhere, and they call DQ. Nothing happened. Right. Luger and Sting's just standing off with the Giant, and he just leaves. And then the ref calls for the bell. Nothing happened. It made no sense. I just don't I don't get it. I don't know what the deal is. I think, if anything, they shouldn't even call this a match. You know, yeah, I don't know how it turned into giant. a match. Just, if it was originally supposed to be a tag team match, I don't know how it just randomly. This isn't 2000 WWF. So I'm not really sure how this match was even made, but let's just ignore that for a minute. The finish makes no sense. Luger coming in, really, I I don't get it. The whole point was Jimmy Hart wouldn't allow Luger to team with Sting here tonight, so it was supposed to be the Giant, then he pays the Giant off, but Luger still comes out. I don't. Makes I, don't. Here, I have multiple issues. with One, <laughs> Sting just went through this with Ric Flair doing it. Okay, I'm, I'll, I'll I'll be Giant's partner, and then all of a sudden Giant gets paid off, and he's about to beat the shit out of Sting again. So how dumb is Sting to keep on trusting these known bad guys to be his partner, thinking they turn good? Sting's an idiot. Uh, if you if you go back that far, right? Uh, two, like if you're just gonna do this throwaway stupid finish, why not have the Giant get paid off immediately, and then he just starts destroying Sting, and then you have Luger come in and save Sting and kind of turn him face and do what you want to do anyway, and you don't have an actual official match. The bell never yeah, rang. Yeah, this didn't even... It's yeah, and, match. yeah and it didn't really need an to be a match. In fact, I, in fact, I didn't realize it was going to be a match. Once Eric Bischoff described what happened, I just assumed that was maybe there was going to be a little showdown, a little fight, but then I'm like, oh, no, this is a match. Okay. Why not and just then, do an angle and be done yeah, with it? That's right. Actually yep. calling it a match. I'm with you. They did That's do one one other cool thing, though. After the segment ended, Nitro, the intro began to play. So now they're really stealing from ECW. The intro after an angle, as it's Pepe in a, in a cowboy hat again, leopard print this time, and it's Heenan, Bischoff, Mongo, all the usual suspects, color commentary and play-by-play. And now they go back. Now they go back and show the footage of Jimmy Hart buying off the Harlem Heat, Jimmy Hart buying off the Giant. So once it's uh, no longer needed, it's already been explained, and the, the segment's over, now we go back and see a clip of Jimmy Hart paying off the heat there. As we go back to the ring for more tag team action, it was supposed to be the Harlem Heat in the last match. Here's some more teams for you, Steve. 
It's the Nasty Boys versus the Steiners versus the Roadies in a triangle match. As we come back from break, everyone already in the ring, and I was cool with that. WCW definitely has the WWE beaten the tag team department at this point. Steiners, Roadies, Nasties here, Harlem Heat in the last match. Well, they were supposed to be in the last match. Of course, Public Enemy upcoming here. Uh, they definitely got them beat in the tag teams. Now, I don't know if they haven't beat in the actual booking of the tag teams, as we'll see going forward here. Everyone gets a turn on the offense, and Hawk does his usual missing the shoulder charge into the corner spot. Animal comes in and ducks a Scott Steiner clothesline, but runs right in to a Rick Steiner, cl- Steiner line on the apron. Rick then, with a released German suplex moments later on knobs in the ring, Hawk comes in and dropkicks Sags out to the floor. And then I wrote, at this point, I'm not going to try and write all of this as we go into a commercial break. Just absolutely too much nonsense. As Rick tries a super belly-to-belly on knobs from the middle rope, but the roadies come in and knock both Steiner and knobs to the floor. The camera decides to stay on Rick and knobs who are selling lay down on the floor while there's actually wrestling going on in the ring. Great move, WCW. Scott Steiner then backdrops Animal to the floor, and everyone is out of the ring except for Scott Steiner. It's at this point that Nob get, Nobbs gets up on the outside, but he's attacked from behind by the public enemy with a chair. Johnny Grunge is actually dressed up as Brian Nobbs, poor guy, even dyes his hair yellow to, to match Nobbs' color, and rolls into the ring. And then Grunge allows Scott Steiner to pin him as he per, he's portraying Brian Nobbs. Talk about overbooking, Jesus. Scott Steiner gets the pin on the faux Brian Nobbs in 15 minutes and 45 seconds. I wrote, Grunge then looks Nobbs face-to-face as he rolls out of the ring, and he laughs at the Nasty Boy post-match. It was like Halloween Havoc with Wyndham and Sting all over again, only the camera actually caught it this time. Bischoff then deduces that it was not the Nasty, or excuse me, not the Roadies, nor the Steiners that put the Nasties in the hospital, but it was Public Enemy. I don't know how he came to that conclusion, but that's what Bischoff came to here. I thought there was lots of good and stiff spots throughout the match, but it was just spots. Nobody really wanted to sell, long-term specifically. It was never really a storytelling match. It was just people taking turns doing things to each other. It was what it was. It was okay. It was uh, the, the end was uh, a fucking mess. It never really went anywhere. And then the public enemy thing just overbooked too much in one match. Too much. Uh, the the finish was creative, but this is a train wreck. I don't know whose idea it is to keep on giving the Road Warriors 15 to 30 minutes in a match. Like, oh, my God. Uh, even the Nasty Boys, that ain't helping none either. I mean, why couldn't it be like Harlem Heat? Why can't Harlem Heat get added to this mix a little bit and uh, actually get some guys in there that can work with the Steiners that are relatively young and not lazy shits? Well, it's, it hard, was, to, it's like, hard to tell a story with the Nasties and the Public Enemy. When the fucking Steiners and the Road Warriors are in the ring at the same time, nobody's paying attention to this. These secondary teams, and exactly. it's like, you're right. It was creative. It was very different, and it was viable. But why not do the Nasties against the American Males? You know, a, a, another underneath team that doesn't win every week, and then they get the win, and it's like, oh shit, the Nasties probably would have won, but the, now the Public Enemy screwed them. Instead, you're helping out yeah. Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner needs to help. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Like it's just. It's pretty bad, and just like randomly in the middle of the match, like all all of them are on the floor just beating the hell out of each other, and the crowd was go nuts, and then they all end up back on the apron with two guys in the ring. It was just a cluster. Like and, I um, like I said at the top of the show, this is a weird ass show. <laughs> this show is weird. Uh, this show, uh, we'll talk about it when we get to the show of the week, but uh, 
Wow, yeah, to say the least. This week on WCW Saturday Night, Lex Luger takes on the Giant. Wow, that was fast. Macho Man in singles action. Scott Norton. Oh, was it Scott? Okay, taking on Scott Norton. That's right. That's right. They didn't show a picture of Norton. They just showed a picture of my poor Norton. They did announce that it was That'd Norton. That'd be fun, though. though. It'd be fun, though. <laughs> well, they had one on Nitro way back when. Remember, they feuded at the beginning of the whole Nitro thing. Wasn't That wasn't bad. I, I like me some Scott Norton. Yeah, until Shark fell on his legs and fucking ruined all that. <laughs> That's true. He hasn't been on Nitro since, has he? <laughs> I don't... Maybe. I think the Giant beat him in like a minute one time. Oh, man. But, but the big match for Saturday night is the booty man taking on the nature boy. I bet Ric Flair loved that one. I wrote, oh, fuck. And then the first lethal lottery drawing. And I'm starting to get flashbacks of uh, Slamboree 96. And I'm starting to wonder if that street fight was necessarily the worst thing on pay-per-view in 96. We're going to have to wait and see. I don't know. I'm getting a little scared now because this is a whole night of <laughs> lethal lottery. And I love me some 91 Shit. lethal lottery, but woof, this one's. Not a good oh, one. I love 91. Battle Bowl night. Star K 91 is fun. Unfortunately, Steve, heading into the next match, Bobby the Brain Heenan announces tonight is his last night in the wrestling business. He's retiring tonight at the end of the show. Sad to see him go. As we go to the main event. No, it's not. This is Hogan's not in the main event. It's Hogan teaming with his buddy, the booty, 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 booty man, dude. Along with booty babe Kimberly taking on Kevin Sullivan and Arn Anderson. Now they're buddies. Accompanied by woman in leather Liz tonight. Did you see Liz out there in the leather? I wrote, why are Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan teaming? They had issues on Nitro last week, and then they referenced issues between the two from Saturday night as well. Of course, booking doesn't have to make sense here, apparently, especially this week. And there's just too much booty in this match. Literally, the booty man in the ring far too long. They get heat on Beefcake. Naturally, the hot tag goes to Hulk Hogan. The crowd was absolutely dead in Cleveland for the barber, but they weren't very much louder for the hot tag to Hogan either. Hogan comes weird. in with the, yeah, it was weird. It's funny. City to city, the way things are Hogan with a big boot to Kevin Sullivan, the big boot to Arn Anderson woman then gives her shoe. I'm getting sick of this shoe shit to Kevin Sullivan. And then Kimberly takes her shoe off, takes her forever, but she does get it off. Finally, not as not quite as long as Elizabeth with the, with the handcuffs. Kimberly gets her shoe off and hands it to the Hulkster. So now both guys in the ring have a shoe in hand. Hogan blocks Sullivan's shot and nails Sullivan with Kimberly's shoe. Hulk Hogan gets the pin in 7 minutes and 45 seconds. Following the match, Kimberly dips the booty man and lays him on a kiss. I wrote, boy, does it pay to be Hogan's buddy. Post-match, we get an instant replay of the shoe nonsense. And that causes us to completely miss Sullivan and Arn taking Beefcake out in the ring as apparently he went back to retrieve Kimberly's shoe, damn it. And then the heels beat him down before Hogan could, uh, he was a little too late to make the save there. This was just another bad match in the line of terrible matches. Yeah, this was bad. This was, uh, it was rough. It's surprising Cleveland booing Hogan. That's a WWF kind of town, at least in the heyday anyway. Cleveland's uh, one of those kind of northern surprised. towns, though. It's just um, they go by the way of like the New York towns, Philadelphia. They're gonna not necessarily cheer the heels, but it's still ugh. you got to give them, you got to entertain them, <laughs> right? Hogan in '88 was entertaining. Hogan in '96 is not entertaining. Well, the booty so, man's definitely uh, not helping matters here. Exactly, uh, absolutely. So uh, this is where I noticed like the wrestlers seem out of it. 
the the commentary seems disinterested. This show just feels very flat. Like I, I don't know if they feel like okay, you know, it was the day after Mania, we're going to get destroyed anyway. And, but it's uh, crazy to think because remember, there's no Nitro next week, so you would think they would really build this yeah. show up to get you to come back in two weeks. And instead, wait till we I get agree. to this next it, promo here. <laughs> if that if that wasn't just, enough. It's just, I don't know, man. It, it just doesn't feel like people want to be here, any of them. So. <laughs> we go back to the ring. It's Mean Gene in the ring talking to Hulk Hogan and the Booty Man. Hogan wants a rematch next week. Gene reminds the Hulkster, there's no show next week, so it would have to be in two weeks, Hulk. Don't correct me on camera, Gene. The Booty Man has secret stipulations for the rematch with Sullivan and Arn Anderson, a.k.a. Hogan has no idea what he wants to do yet, brother. So I wrote kiss my ass match. It makes sense with the booty man, right? But at the end of the day, they sell it as a tag team rematch, which we don't even get <laughs> when we come back. But Boot- booty man has all these special stipulations. They're secretive at this point. Anyway, I don't know how they get to pick them, but none of this makes any sense to me. And then the hard sell to come back to get all the viewers back in two weeks on nitro is a rematch of this shit. And then they don't even know the stipulations yet because it's too far away and Hogan only books week to week, brother. <laughs> it's terrible. I think, and at the end of the show, I think Bischoff spoils it and says, is it a mixed tag match? Uh, that's that not what it ends end. up being. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, I know that's what he's speculating. I don't know if he's just right. speculating or if that's, if that's him selling It may it have is, been a plan for something like along those lines. I'm not really sure, but Booty Man's not even in the match when we get there. So, well, that's good, so, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll figure it out in a week. Well, two weeks. Ha! Huh, two weeks. I mean, uh, us, a, uh, us a week. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Right, next well, next Warfare show. Yes, absolutely. Right. Gotcha. Time and to get we, to the best part of the show. It's the world champion Ric Flair with woman and Liz back at ringside taking on the total package Lex Luger. Flair stops by to say hello to Deborah McMichael in the crowd, and so it begins. And Lex Luger has a chance to become uh, three-belt Luger tonight, maybe the first triple crown champion in WCW. Lex overpowers Flair, while Elizabeth... uh, Flair starts selling in the... This was great. Flair starts selling in a corner, and Elizabeth starts walking towards the other corner where Luger's at, and woman has to literally walk over and grab Liz and walk her to the correct side of the ring... And both ladies, right on camera, start laughing into the camera at Liz's mistake here. It was uh, kind of comical. They were just having, they just broke character here, laughing at Elizabeth, kind of going towards the wrong corner. Um, <laughs> the action continues with Lex Luger with tackles, press slams, clotheslines, sending Flair to the floor not once but twice as Luger chases the ladies up the aisle. And when he gets back to the apron, Flair with a cheap shot knee sends Luger off the apron to the floor. And once they get back inside, Ric Flair with the figure four leg lock, but Luger reverses it, causing Flair to break the hold. And it's back to the floor again, where Luger comes back in with a slingshot sunset flip. You don't see that too often. He knew this was a world title match. But Flair holds on to the ropes. Nick Patrick kicks Flair's hands free, and Luger completes the sunset flip for a near fall. Luger on the comeback with Ric Flair doing the flip in the corner, comes off the top rope, but he's caught by, the, by Lex and Luger with a superplex off the top on the uh, Nature Boy, and then he power slam. Luger sets it up for the torture rack on the Nature Boy, but Elizabeth distracts referee Nick Patrick, 
And now we got a new gimmick as woman comes in with a cup of coffee. Apparently it's still boiling hot wherever they found this at. And she throws it into the face of Luger while he has the torture rack on Ric Flair. Boy, they'll come up with anything. Flair escapes the rack and rolls up Luger, even grabbing the ropes for leverage. Ric Flair gets the pin in nine minutes and 53 seconds. Sting is out right away to come and check on his buddy Luger, but the damage is done and Flair retains. Really good match. It was entertaining. It, it was a breath of fresh air uh, because there was nothing, there's no interference. I know the women were there. That, that to me doesn't bother me just because it's their managers. That's what they do. That's what heel managers do. It's part of wrestling. Uh, by me, no interference, no shenanigans. Like there's no Arn Anderson, there's no Kevin Sullivan, there's no Hogan, and ten other guys coming down. You actually had a match with two guys that we got to finish out of. Whether it was clean or not, it was debatable. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The fact that we got a pin, a good match leading up to the finish. Uh, pretty good stuff. I liked it. Yeah, I thought I thought the match was very good for uh, Luger being in there with Flair and 1996 Luger being in there with Flair. It wasn't bad at all. I turn back the clock. I don't hate that the managers are interfering either. That's where um, that's where the, that's what they should what they be do. doing. But exactly. th- these gimmicks, the things that they're utilizing, coffee now. Like, where do you find this? Uh, I don't know. That 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 bothers. Uh, yeah, me. the co- it, it, it it is redundant and it's stupid. Like it's try- it's it's almost like they're trying to reinvent the wheel. You know, it's they're coming up with new uh, just just blow blowing or rake <laughs> his gimmicks. eyes or do something stupid. Right. You don't need yes. a gimmick every time you're interfering. Keep your shoes on. There you go. Um, <laughs> don't and steal you, fans. And you coffee. know they came up with the coffee here because woman already used the shoe in the last match. Exactly. That, that may be why. <laughs> well, we can't do the the, the shoe twice, brother. Uh, no, I'm keeping the coffee. shoe, brother. That's 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 what's over, dude. I bet you they was watching macho promos. A cup of coffee in the big time. Cup of coffee. <laughs> cup of coffee. Uh-huh. That's a good idea, macho. <laughs> so after a wild and ridiculous show that made absolutely no sense. Weirdest ass Nitro ever up until this point anyway. I'm sure there's they, it gets worse, but that's probably in the Russo era. Other than the Flair Luger match, that was the saving grace of the night. At least that felt like a completely different show. Like, that was a real match yeah. that made sense. Like you said, there was no weird interference, no weird shenanigans going on. And then we get the heels cheating for the finish. And Flair does get a pinfall there. And Sting comes out to check on his buddy because Luger came to his aid earlier on. As we close out the show, Bobby again reiterates he's he's retiring tonight, Steve. And he even convinces Mongo to, to shake his hand. But it is April 1st after all. And April Fools, Bobby gets them. Bischoff sells it well, but I believe Mongo is a dork. I think he really bought into this as he was smiling and laughing. He got a good kick out of this at the end of the show. He really felt like he got egg on his face when Bobby laid in the April fools here on Mongo at the end of the show. I thought that was fun. Pretty funny. This wouldn't even get over with anybody else, but Bobby Heenan. Yeah. It only works with Bobby Heenan. So segment of the night. I don't think I have to ask you twice. I'm assuming it's flair and Luger, but I'll run over some other things Absolutely. real quick. There was the tag team triangle match. There was the booty mania match and giant versus sting. The uniqueness. It was a kind word I used there to describe that one. I'll go with <laughs> you. I, I agree with you. Flair and Luger. I mean, it's the only thing on the show that made sense. The only thing on the show that resembled a, a wrestling match, well, <laughs> a real wrestling match with a story being to be told. Honest, it was the only thing that has been worked on nitro over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think they announced that last week that it was going to be Flair and Luger. So 
like the Arn and everything, the turn and everything that like that happened last week, it, it just completely got flipped on its head. And so that's what makes none of this stuff make sense. Arn and Sullivan ship partners again. That makes no sense. It's almost like last um, week didn't exist. The giant turned face. No, he's heel. Sullivan and Arn, they should definitely have issues. They're a tag team, and none of this yeah. gets addressed. Yeah, so it's like Luger and Flair is the only thing that carried over from week to week that made sense. The tag match makes sense. It was just shit. Right. It, it, there was no really. It was just guys doing shit, <laughs> really. <laughs> and the ratings are in. And since it was the day after WrestleMania, the WWF won the Monday Night Wars with a 2.9 rating and a 4.2 share to WCW's 2.8 rating and 4.1 share. So very close there. They're a point off in rating and a, a tenth of a point off in the rating and a tenth of a point off in the share. So they barely beat them, even coming out of WrestleMania. WCW did have the strong lineup as far as marquee names on the show, but Raw's advantage of going up on after Mania and a, a couple of title changes at Mania, both numbers were hurt since it went against the NCAA Finals. Ouch. That was, I was wondering why they were 2.9 and 2.8, but there you have it. The Nitro replay did a 1.3, which is also pretty insane if you think about it. For the first quarter of 1996, now that we've finished January, February, and March, Nitro beats out Raw by a 3.1 average to a 2.9 average, squeaking out over WWF. And since the two shows started back in September, Nitro edges out the WWF 2.7 to a 2.6, just barely again beating Raw. They're very even in the ratings when it mm -hmm. comes right down to it, as you can see. WCW Nitro ranked number 12 of all of the regular weekly programs on basic cable for the season. Raw was number 13. Again, right next to each other. Crazy. Uh, it seems like a good time to bring it up. I, I think, I don't know if you read the news or listened to Bischoff's podcast, but he mentioned, he was talking about the AEW and the NXT war, how it's not really a war. I read the headline. It's a war in name. Just because it's a war in name doesn't mean it's uh, an actual war. And he made an excellent point. Like being at war is when you push your company, your opponent, to completely elevate the entire business. You, you, the two of them indirectly work together to elevate the entire business. And right. he's like, that will never happen again. Um, and that's what, th that's what this did. That it elevated the entire business to a point that you could have two companies on the same time, on the same night, pulling in threes and twos and, and just have a massive, massive, presence on tv like you put them together almost 10 percent of the shares are watching wrestling every right. monday night and that's the funny thing that's when you go back to september the insane. average from september to march the averages are 2.7 rating and a 2.6 rating and people might be asking wait a minute for weeks now they've both been busting over that three point mark pretty easily yes they have but if you go back to those early weeks those early months they were down in the two points so mm -hmm. it is the competition to some degree that's really driven yeah. up the numbers here in the ratings. Done a very good job. And that's and that's that's what a war is when you force your opponents to do better. You can't just sit on your rest on your laurels and do a show with a fancy name to pop a rating and then go back to the tank, you know, the next week right. and continually do that. These guys had to come out every week, put on their best foot, 
forward or one slip up and you're done. Uh, it could really have a negative impact for weeks on end. And um, I agree with him 100%. You'll never see this again. Who's your real winner this week? I'm assuming, well, I'm not going to make any assumptions. Obviously, we're coming <laughs> off of WrestleMania. I thought they did a pretty good job with Raw. Nitro, for the most part, made little sense. So I, myself, I'm going to have to go with the Raw show this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Raw as well. It, it felt like they almost knew uh, they were going to get that post-mania bump. They knew they were going to have a little bit more eyes on the sets here. So they did an excellent job of debuting. You know, you had Mankind's debut. You had Mark Merrill's in-ring debut. Uh, Shawn Michaels is your new champion. This is who we're going to put him up against right away. So they really set the stage for his title reign and uh, for those new, ta- new talent coming into the company. Uh, I just thought they did an excellent job as a whole. Uh, Nitro, it just felt like it was the same old shit with cluster matches and not very good wrestling outside of that main event. And uh, it just felt off. I don't know if it was an off night for everybody involved or what the deal was, but Nitro just felt different this week. It it almost feels like something got changed a couple hours before the show, and it it kind of comes across that way. So who knows? Yeah. Well, I hope things turn around here when, when Hulk Hogan disappears for a while. But we head on to the, the next week to WWF Monday Night Raw for April 8th, taped back last week on the 1st in San Bernardino. It's Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect hosting the show this week because Jerry Lawler is challenging Shawn Michaels for the WWF title. And we kick things off with the match that was originally announced for WrestleMania before being turned into a six-man. It's Vader taking on Yokozuna. And Yokozuna, or excuse me, Vader accompanied the ring by Jim Cornette. Yokozuna, accompanied by Mr. Fuji and an American flag. And I know this is all a work and all kayfabe and Fuji's, you know, <laughs> raised in Hawaii and, and this, that, and the other. But it was really weird seeing Mr. Fuji waving an American flag during this match. Just, I, I'm fucking, you know, I'm in my 40s now. I understand this is all a work and it's just still boggled it's my still mind. Seeing, yeah, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't work. I didn't even remember him ever doing this. I know there was a point. I don't know if this was it or was there a point? No, there was no point where he was a good guy ever uh, except no. this. So never mind. This must be it. But I don't ever remember him waving American flag and it well, you know, does not it, work for I, me. When I watched WrestleMania 12 live, I didn't even realize Fuji was at ringside. I don't even know if they make mention of him during the pay-per-view. That he's at ringside during that six-man. He just quietly shows up and he's over there in the corner to back Yokozuna. They never really play. He never really plays anything because he does have really bad knees at this point. He yeah, winds by up. This point, you know, he's yeah. done. <laughs> uh, Mr. Perfect pointed him out, which is really cool. I never would have noticed him until Perfect mentioned him. Well, I couldn't help but notice him here as he's waving that flag into the camera. Yeah, it's just yeah. so weird. And uh, oh, the match yeah. gets going, and they slap the fuck out of each other. Of course, Vader goes first, but, well, there was a receipt. Yokozuna smashed Vader upside the head so hard he busted Vader's eardrum, and deservedly so. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty damn cool because Vader's coming in with a shoulder injury and now already a busted eardrum, two injuries already, and now I get what Bruce Pritchard meant because I never really noticed how often Vader got injured in the WWF, but when Conrad Thompson asked Bruce Pritchard about why Vader's run didn't really work, uh, Conrad, I think Conrad asked him, do you remember this injury? And Bruce's response was, when was Vader not injured? 
So apparently this was just a constant thing with Vader's constant injuries like this. And I just didn't really remember that. I, I remember it with Ahmed Johnson, not so much with Vader. Yeah, I don't remember it. Is it because he he's doing these stiff shots and is pissing dudes off, so they're just giving it back to him? Or well, you remember he's coming in with the shoulder injury, so he already had that coming yeah, in. Oh, I now, the, now I clearly, yeah. clearly, yes, yeah. Yokozuna gave him a receipt here, and that there's no doubt that this is where the eardrum was busted. I have no that doubt makes me in my mind. If uh, Vader's been taking shots at Yoko all this time, and Yoko's finally had enough. It can't just be – I just don't see Yoko being, okay, one slap and he's just going to give it right back. Yeah, and I don't it's think Vader really build, minds build it. I mean, remember, thing. Stan Hansen knocked Vader's eyeball out at one point, and Vader just pushed well, yeah, it back in and yeah. kept going. <laughs> so it's just – I don't know, man. It just seems like he's putting himself in these situations where he's going a little too stiff. His body's starting to break down, working all those matches in Japan, work, just working that style for this long. And the body's he's heavier, start. too. Yeah, yeah, he is. That's not helping him either. Casual weight, ca- yeah. you know, casually getting bigger and bigger. Right. The bigger you are, the, the more fragile you get. Um, As the, the match gets going after the after the uh, the they trade shots, smashing each other aside the ear, uh, Yoko's Ooh. in with the big Samoan drop. But Vader comes back and mauls Yoko down into the corner, where Jim Cornette even sneaks in a tennis racket shot to his former charge. Mr. Fuji is just worthless at this point. He can wave the American flag and point all he wants, but you can tell clearly there's something wrong because he does not get physical. He doesn't even come close. He doesn't even elude. He doesn't even move. He just stands in one spot during the smash. Yeah, it really is. Um, Yokozuna lands the rock bottom. Shout out to the future rock there and the big leg drop on Vader as Fuji just stands there waving the American flag back and forth. Can't really do anything else. Vader is American too, I noted. So I'm not really sure what the point of this was, but it's like when, when Hacksaw would chant USA against other Americans and didn't get it. Or when Hacksaw would go into Canada and get them to chant USA. I don't know, whatever. Yokozuna mauls Vader down in the corner now. It's Yoko's turn as Tim White threatens Yokozuna. He's going to call for the bell. Yoko backs up and tries an avalanche but misses. Jim Cornette then holds Yoko's ankle. I'd like to see that happen in real life. And holds it across the bottom rope for Vader to go up and nail the Vader bomb on Yoko's leg as the bell sounds. And Vader does it again. Fuji does absolutely nothing. Just standing there pointing from the other side of the ring. Hey, he's breaking Yokozuna's leg. Vader drops the Vader bomb on Yoko's leg a third time across the bottom rope. Just nasty. And the match is awarded to Vader on referee stoppage. I thought it was DQ, but no, it's referee stoppage. Vader's going to get the win. What's cool is I we forgot to mention it last week. Fink's doing the commentary, so uh, yeah, he's the ring announcer here. Yeah, that is uh, it was um, different. But he did mention that uh, the referee stopped the match due to the injury and rewards right. the match to Vader. So yeah, he did. Um, they actually announced what happens. <laughs> so yeah, I, I actually put it in bold here. I just got a, got ahead of myself and with Cornette's yeah, interference. Yeah, but. they actually do this here on the WWF. But no, this was – I remember this. I, I still remember watching this as a kid. Uh, I remember I, I can still hear Yoko's scream. Um, he sold that. Uh, he was, it was great. He did. He did an excellent job. I, I always remember feeling bad for Yoko because he got carried out on a forklift, and that's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, man. I like that's so bad and they didn't even they couldn't even really do like one of those airbag splint things for his legs they just like took a piece of cardboard and taped it around his leg to stabilize it so it was just overall it was just a very embarrassing look and i don't know if they did that on purpose 
Um, because we know he's out, I think, to lose weight. I think they, this is like one of those times where they try to get him in to lose weight. Right. And um, it just makes you wonder if they did that on purpose because uh, maybe they wanted to see him visually. Like, look, dude, we got to carry you out on a forklift because you're so damn heavy. And we can't even get a bag on your, you know, a splint on your leg. We had to put a cardboard box around you. Like, this is, you're in a rough spot right now. You need to lose weight, buddy. Like, yeah, initially, if that's initially it was ridiculous. They, they brought a stretcher out for Yoko, like he was going to <laughs> fit on a stretcher. They were going to lift him up to get him on a stretcher. Absolutely ludicrous. Next thing you know, he does have some sort of a makeshift splint on his leg. Clearly, the announcer's telling that they heard something snap, something broke. Perfect Vader has broken. Sold this excellent. Yeah, Perfect did a great job on commentary here. He sold it that he's not a doctor, but he heard something break. Yeah. Yoko's leg's broken, a way to write him out for for about six weeks or so, I think, uh, before he yeah, comes back to the next in your house. But he winds up leaving, like like you said, on a forklift, which just was unbelievable for the time. I never really put never really put thought into that as you know, even as a teenager until I see it and I go, Holy shit. He's leaving on a yeah. friggin' forklift on a pallet. I felt bad for him. Like, that's embarrassing, dude. I don't care if you're on TV all the time. Like, that's pretty rough. But, um, yeah, Perfect had an excellent line. He's like, he said something like, uh, any athlete hates to hear that sound. But for Vader, like, he's like, you hate to hear that sound as an athlete. And he understands why Vader did it. He's like, but for Vader to do it two more times, that's not good. That's not something you do. So even Perfect, who is a heel, I mean, he's been heel most of the night on commentary. Uh, leading into this match and going into this match. So I think him putting it over, like even he thinks it was too far for Vader to go. So he did an excellent job of really selling this injury. And again, uh, it's one of those memorable things. Like if you watch this as a kid, I think we we laughed about it for a couple of weeks. Remember Yoko getting carried down on a forklift? Like <laughs> All you got to do is say that. And everybody, and like if you watched it, you knew what, you know what I'm talking about. And so it's one of those memorable moments, not necessarily for anything um, great. It's just you just you just remember it because it was yeah the visual you didn't see something like that every week. Yeah, a six hundred pound dude actually having to get carried by forklift. Like I never you never you don't see that every day in real life or on TV. You don't see guys that size. So I think that's uh, the last time I've seen that. First and the last time I've ever seen that. To be honest with you. I think they do that with some of those, you know, those like 900 pound shows or whatever. And they have to okay. go to the doctor and they take him out on the bed. Well, I'll have to ask my that. wife about that. She loves watching those things. I try to avoid them. Oh, man, I do too. I, I've, I've heard about them. I've seen, you know, you can see some clips, but I'm just like, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. For sure. The show goes on on Raw, though. It's Vince McMahon yes. in the ring this week with the <laughs> Ultimate Warrior. The warrior says the spirit of the warrior lived on for three and a half years and fans spoke to him and now he's back. Warrior will handle the challenges of the new generation. And then it's intercontinental champion Goldust to the ring. As he moves on from Roddy Piper, Goldie will wrestle the warrior at the upcoming in your house pay-per-view. Goldust hisses at the warrior. Warrior (laughs) snarls right back. Maybe they could play a superhero game. Goldie wonders, oh boy, Warrior could be Superman. And Goldie could fly on Warrior's back into the sunset. Oh boy. (laughs) Hold it right there, freak, says the Warrior. Whatever is, is. And whatever you're into, I really don't give a shit. 
So definitely a different warrior here in 1996. I laughed and I said, awesome. Uh, you didn't really, <laughs> it was Goldust then tries to touch the warrior, but the warrior says he has an idea, a full length action adventure movie for Goldust. It features the warrior kicking your ass from beginning to end and uh, bam warrior nails gold dust. And so I wrote the promo started off a little out there, a little warrior esque at the beginning, but once he actually started speaking to Vince McMahon and to gold it was very coherent, very unwarrior like. Yeah. Uh, he was rambling there at the beginning. Like when trying to answer the questions, he made it sound like he basically was in an indirect way saying he was got into his mind and in his thoughts kind of recharge and figure out what he wanted to do oh lord <laughs> i was waiting for him to say something that would be frowned upon in 2021 <laughs> but he didn't he didn't do it not yet um, not yet not yet and uh he said we want to live one more time through the power of the warrior man i i, I love the ultimate warrior i have a, an eclectic taste i guess but um i'm all over the map but this is the guy that got me into wrestling and i, I remember i just watched this today so when I was done watching it and listening to the promo and the angle, I got pumped. I was like, man, this dude's awesome. And, uh, I went out. <laughs> Definitely a different, wife, was, a different warrior though. Definitely. A different. And warrior. I'm just like, man, I missed the ultimate warrior. It really, it really stinks that he died the way he did because he signed that deal with the WWE and, uh, they sound like he has some good plans in place that they were going to do together. And I would have loved to have seen what that was opening up and, Maybe, you know, just trying to move past the dumb shit that he has said and done throughout the years and maybe try to change the narrative a little bit on himself. Um, because this Hall of Fame speech really touched on a lot of that. And I felt like um, he never really got the opportunity to make right the wrongs of his life, maybe. Right. I don't know. But it just it just feels like we got cheated a little bit out of that one. So. I I get a little um, I'm attached to the Ultimate Warrior because, like I said, he's the reason I'm a wrestling fan, and um, so I, I I really enjoy his work. I don't care. This was funny. This was good. It was nice to see a different side of the Ultimate Warrior. He said shit on TV, and that's something you never heard. That's one of those words you don't say, and uh, especially in the WWF, you can probably count on a handful of times how many times that word's actually been used throughout the WWF's history, and this is one of them. And I enjoyed this. The wheels haven't fell off the Ultimate Warrior yet at this point. I know it happens, but um, <laughs> I'm enjoying this. We go backstage, and Yokozuna's being loaded from a forklift onto an ambulance, but <laughs> Vader attacks with a chair, and boy, does he go to town on Yoko's broken leg with a steel chair. They're really trying to get Vader back over in that as much as they did when he first came those first couple nights with the company. I felt like it was overkill, though. It really didn't. It really, this this was wasn't really necessary to me. I, you, you broke his leg in the ring. This was just uh, unnecessary, I thought. It didn't do anything to elevate Vader's heelness any more than he already was. I think if anything, it hurt it. Like you said, it's overkill. Yeah, it was too much. And the way way Yoko sold that initial Vader bomb, Yeah, like if they did nothing else after that and just took him out on a forklift and loaded him in the ambulance, Vader's over again. Like that that initial scream, you can't really recreate that. And then the broken leg angle, you could have sold that easy. And I could see them writing this in. And and if this was live, I could see them doing this. But this is a taped episode. They could have realized, wow, Yoko did better than we thought out there. Let's 86 this backstage skit. We don't have to air it. But they decide to go through with it anyway. This sucks. 
Back to the ring, it's Triple H taking on his nemesis of the 96. Anyway, Duke the Dumpster Drossy. Drossy looking for uh, that big win against Triple H here, but Triple H needs to save face after that squash match with the Warrior at WrestleMania 12. The Dumpster attacks and nails a press slam on Triple H, but Triple H does the low bridge, pulls the rope down, and Duke goes flying out of the ring. Back inside, Triple H gets heat as we go into a commercial break. And when we come back, Drossy makes his comeback with an Arn Anderson-style spinebuster. Not an Arn Anderson spinebuster, just the pivot and the turn and the spinebuster. And a power slam by the dumpster as it's time to take out the trash. Drossy goes for the trash compactor, but Triple H slides through, lands on his feet, spins the dumpster around, pedigree, gets the win in six minutes. Triple H needed a win here. It felt like... Duke here carried the match and did most of the offense. Um, I thought he, I thought he's looked good. Like he actually started yeah. looking decent here with the Triple H feud. Then your house, he looked fine. Yeah, yeah. The promo was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like uh, Hunter sold like a million bucks for him. Obviously, he's never he hasn't been messed with too much as far as uh, the work rate and things like that go. Now, this is a this is a de- it was a good match. It, it really was. Duke looked good. Hunter sold like a million bucks. And I think just the gimmick that Hunter's in kind of calls for this. You know, you're a rich, stuck-up guy, kind of just cheating and maybe sliding or getting lucky on your wins. It kind of fits that persona pretty good. So the the finish made sense. Uh, it, was a, it was a decent little TV match. Yeah, and after that Warrior squash, he needed a decent little TV match with the, with the definitive win there with his finisher after Warrior kicked out of it. Of course, I'm sure you've heard the story. There was supposed to, It was supposed to be a competitive match. It's supposed to go a few minutes, Warrior and Triple H. And then right before they went through the curtain, Warrior goes, um, no, nah, I'm just going to hit you with my shit and pin you. <laughs> and then Triple H was on his way to the ring and couldn't change it. So, yeah, yeah that's why Triple that. H. He's smart. Yeah, well, uh, he's pull- Warrior's smart for waiting. Probably learned from Hogan. Well, yeah. Who likes to change shit? Hunter said he's never been, he's not mad at this. He's never been upset with it. He's like, no, man, I was in the ring with the Ultimate Warrior. That's awesome. That's where you want to be. He's like, I'm glad they trust me to be in the ring with him. He might say that Um, now, but there's been some comments he made way back in the day that would, (laughs) talking about using the Warrior's buck teeth to chop down trees and things like that. So uh, things change over the years, though. I, I know. And he d- he did help oh, yeah, Vince well, yeah. uh, bridge the gap and make amends with the Warriors. Yeah. So I'm sure you know everything was fine after a while, but you know time heals all wounds, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure he's I'm sure pissed off Hunter. Once he got hooked up with Sean and they were doing DX, I'm sure he had a lot of animosity towards a lot of things. To be honest sure, with you, right? Well, you know, <laughs> with the company involved, I I can't imagine why. We go to another backstage segment. Yokozuna finally being loaded into the ambulance. He's off to the hospital. Oops, sorry. Medical facility, pal. Yoko hey, off to the medical facility. <laughs> did he say hit medical facility on here? I don't I re- bet recall. he did. I bet he did. Oh my god. Does he hate the word hospital? Yes, he hates it. That's one of its like that's like one of the oh ten no no words of all time. You cannot say that. People don't say hospital, uh-huh. Steve. They say medical facility, don't you know? Who talks like this? Vince McMahon talks like this. <laughs> I said besides Vince. <laughs> Everyone he tells oh to. God. That's who talks like that. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. And I will but, say, just to recap, Misery loves company. So yes. that's, that's why Triple H was feeling the way he was feeling. I'm sure. We move <laughs> on with the show, though. It's arm wrestling time in the ring. Ahmed Johnson going to do arm wrestling contest with the British Bulldog Company of the Ring by Owen Hart. 
on a freaking wooden table. Shit. A cheap, freaking, shitty wooden table that you use Wasn't when you're going to... shitty. Well, that's true. It was sturdy, <laughs> but it still looked like shit. And they're sitting there with steel. I don't know about you, Steve, but I don't want to sit in a steel chair on a shit wood table to have an arm wrestling contest on a big, big time wrestling show. As Shane no, McMahon is the referee for this uh, match, if you will. Owen Hart gets on the mic talking shit to the Ahmed Johnson, talking up his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog. Owen keeps stalling as Ahmed and Bulldog keep locking hands. Owen finds reasons to break it up and postpone as Jack Doan then is in the ringside as well. He boots Owen from ringside. And finally, Ahmed and the Bulldog lock hands. And I was actually shocked. An arm wrestling contest with a finish. Bulldog shows off early, but Ahmed eventually gets the win. I wrote, wow, a win. I really didn't see that coming. But I did see the figure this was coming. The Bulldog attacks Ahmed Johnson with a steel chair, and it made some nasty sounds. Three shots to the head and back of Ahmed Johnson. Bulldog props the table up into the corner. Since Ahmed into the table, Steve, but as you pointed out, it doesn't break. So, if at first you don't succeed, they try the spot again, and it still doesn't break. So, Bulldog just takes the do- the, the heavy-ass table, it sounded heavy, and drops it on top of Ahmed, which was awesome. Did it twice. So, the winner here tonight is the table. Definitely a good table. Uh, I hate I hate shit man i i can't stand arm wrestling contests they're a waste of time you just get to the angle i i get it gotta have something to kind of get them out there together instead of just doing an angle but i just i i, I can't stand these they're the same shit it's like contract signings now they're gonna stall 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 and then the heel's gonna either lo- they're gonna lose or before they get a chance to lose uh the angle happens. So, yeah. and I think this was uh, done the, for the house show loop. I think this was uh, one of those house show, those post mania house show feuds. And that's really what this angle was all, all about. Well, that's fine. I don't have a problem with these two going at it. It's just, right. I, I, I don't like arm wrestling challenges. I don't like tables that don't break either. So just uh, huh. all, all around disappointment. To be honest, it worked out though, because it was a lot better seeing the bulldog struggle to pick that damn table up and drop it on. <laughs> drop it on I mean, yeah. Take that bitch. <laughs> we go back to the ring. That last one too, man. He threw it in the air. And <laughs> he was pissed off. He's like, "I'm pissed off now. F this table. <laughs> F you, Ahmed, and I'm out." <laughs> we go back to ringside. Big Daddy Cool Diesel joins commentary. He's even wearing Shawn Michaels all over T-shirt. I had that shirt. I still have that shirt at my grandparents' house in my old closet somewhere. But the sleeves are torn off, so it's probably worthless. Diesel says he hit Shawn Michaels with a chair at Madison Square Garden. Because HBK asked for a back realignment. All right. As we kick things off in the main event, WWF champion Shawn Michaels defending against Jerry the King Lawler. Lawler doing his best Memphis stalling, even hiding behind the referee as Shawn gets in some of the basics. Lawler with the old invisible foreign object bit. Did I ever tell you about the time I I watched him do that live? No. I'm sitting third row at at a show, and he was wrestling the Bulldog, Bulldog Babyface, and Lawler is... Pulling an object out of his trunks. That was the whole match. I mean, it was a terrible, atrocious match. No wrestling. Just Lawler pulling this object like 10 times out of his trunk and popping the bulldog with it and putting it back. And finally, he did the job. But I was close enough to realize he had absolutely nothing in his hand. It's the old invisible object gimmick. You have nothing. But as long as you play it up like that, it shows you how stupid 
a fan can be. And they eat it up. They buy into it. Oh, there's something in his hand. Why would he pretend like there's so? Uh, so this is, uh, he does that trick here. There's nothing. You can see there's nothing in his hand as he pops Sean repeatedly with this invisible foreign object bit. Goes back a long time. Uh, lots of punching by the king, as you might suspect. Uh, but Lawler, he gets it. He doesn't have to do a lot. He's over with this crowd. You pointed out last week, this crowd is pretty hot crowd. HBK, mm-hmm. though, catches the king coming off the top. I could... If you would ask me if Jerry Lawler ever came off the top rope, I'd tell you probably at some point, but I couldn't pinpoint when. So I was really shocked to see Lawler coming off the top rope here this late in his career. But HBK catches him coming and makes the comeback. The big flying forearm, the kip up, the flying elbow off the top rope. But Lawler grabs the object while Shawn Michaels is talking with Diesel. But as Lawler goes to throw the punch, he turn- Shawn Michaels turns around and boom, super kick. And he pins the king at eight minutes and 34 seconds. We'll talk about the match before we talk about the post-match shenanigans. What'd you think of the match? It was pretty good. I mean, it was nothing special. Very basic. Lawler. But Lawler Very gets basic. it. He's been doing this since the late 80s. I used to watch him on uh, ESPN and USWA. Do th- every day he was on. Every day. Eddie Gilbert, Terry Funk, Junkyard Dog, Kerry Von Erich. You name them, they came in for the one one-off. With Lawler at every match, it was the same routine. The foreign object, the punches, just less is more with the king. Yeah, absolutely, and it works. I mean, it works when a, the 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 face is over, like super over, um, because you want to see this guy get his comeuppance, and uh, that's what happened here. There's a bunch of punching, stalling to start. I mean, you really see maybe two moves. You saw the pile driver, and some of the stuff Sean did was very basic as well. He was just throwing punches, too. He's like, Lawler, if all you're doing is throwing punches, I'm just throwing punches, too, because I don't really want to work. And uh, and then we got the sweet chin music, and that, that was really it. But when you sum it up that way, it sounds like trash, but it definitely wasn't. It was, it was no, pretty entertaining. I mean, it's old it school. Fun. If you know how to work a crowd, that you don't have to do a whole lot. And now you got exactly. guys going out here and doing 100 flips, and they don't get nearly this response. Exactly. And what's cool is... I'm sure I don't know, and I don't know. There could be somebody out there, but somebody's like, "Has Shawn Michaels ever wrestled Jerry Lawler?" Like, no, nah, no way. And then, but here you are. Like, you don't realize some of these matches that you got during this time that are just kind of lost in time, right? And this is one of those. Like, I never thought Shawn Michaels wrestled wrestled Lawler. You would think that makes no sense. He just won the title in his first title match or first match after winning as Lawler. It was that a weird no choice, sense. especially since Lawler's it really been doing commentary. Choice. But uh, but it worked. I dug it. They they made yeah. it work, and I was I, I enjoyed it. It, it was fun. Post match, Sean calls Diesel out. Tells Diesel to get his ass in the ring. Sean is winning the fight with Diesel, but Mister Perfect runs a distraction. Very weird. He jumps up onto the steps. I kind of remembered this, but I, I question like what was the point of this? As Hennig gets up on the steps, distracts Sean. Sean turns around into a big daddy cool big boot. It's perfect, then tosses Diesel the WWF title belt. Diesel nails Sean with the belt. Sean does the old inside-out flip. And then Diesel drops the belt on top of Sean Michaels and poses over top of him, the big black glove fist in the air to close the show. So not only does Diesel get his one-up on Sean Michaels, the champion here going in in your house, but there's a lot of questions here with what's going on with Mr. Perfect at this point. It makes you wonder if they thought he was coming back. Sign me up for a Mr. Perfect Shawn Michaels feud at this point. I don't know how Mr. Perfect health-wise would be or how good he would be in the ring. 
in 96. I mean, I've seen him in WCW. <laughs> Not a lot to be desired there, but right. um, I think Sean could have definitely got the best out of him. As long as they didn't book it as the best match that you'll see in a long time. Uh, SummerSlam 93, anybody? Oh, um, Talk about a disappointment <laughs> on my behalf. My two favorite wrestlers at that time wrestling each other. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I was so dis- – that whole night's disappointing. But um, anyway, the, this this isn't the time for that. But um, I, I, I wonder if they thought that's what was gonna, the opportunity was going to be there, uh, possibly to get Bulldog – or not Bulldog, but Hennig in there with Sean – I think That's so. Why he was out there. Uh, there you've that you've seen that, that for awesome. years here at this point. And the observers that, oh, Hennig's going to get back in the ring. Hennig's going to get back in the ring. Hennig's going to get back in the ring. And yeah. uh, he eventually gets so back in the ring, but not for Vince. That's the shitty part. This seems to be a trend. These yeah. guys are injured in air quotes and can't work anymore. Then all of a sudden they can finally work and somebody pays them more money. Offers more opportunity, I guess. I don't know. But that would have been awesome. Especially wonder if it would have been Sean and Bull, uh, Henny going into King in the Ring and that stuff instead of Bulldog. Segment of the night. A lot of things to talk about here. I know it's not the arm wrestling contest, but could it be the <laughs> Warrior Gold Dust confrontation, the solid match between Triple H and the Dumpster, Shawn Michaels and the King, or the Yoko Vader angle? I, on my notes here, I have the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, seems a little cheated. This whole show is really good. Like everything on this show was good. Right. But I think the most, the biggest impact and the most memorable is definitely Vader and uh, Yoko. I forgot how good that sell job was by Yoko and that initial scream. I, once you hear that, you 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 remember it. And um, as soon as I heard it again, I'm like, oh yeah, that's there it is. And uh, so if you haven't seen this in a long time, you haven't watched it ever, go watch it and just watch that first segment with Yoko and Vader and just wait for the Vader bomb in the corner. That's how you sell an injury. Yeah, that high pitched noise. That it's a uh, really good job. Like you just don't expect that dude to be able to hit that high, <laughs> that high note like right. that. But um, excellent, excellent job by those guys. I felt like uh, the the second beatdown was very unnecessary and um, overkill. Yep. It, 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 to me, it just made me feel bad for Yoko, not necessarily hate Vader more. Yeah, like it, it was like you're just being a dick. It actually took like, my, oh my God. the the initial one was you know you felt bad for Yoko, but you you were in awe of the entire angle. So Vader was still on yeah. your mind when he attacked Yoko again. There was more sympathy to Yoko, and you really you weren't thinking about Vader anymore. So it kind of took away from Vader yeah. to to do that again. I agree with you there. It's and that's like, I was just gonna say this made Vader feel like a complete dick. Like okay, you're mean and you're a bully now. Like you, there's no need for this and. So it just, I think it, the overkill and it just killed it. it. It did the opposite of what you'd want it to do yep. for Vader anyway. I agree. I really, I really, really love the warrior promo here. I thought it was really funny, but I, I have to go with the Yoko Vader angle as well. I thought it was really well done, especially from Yokozuna's part, but Vader held his own with what he needed to do in that first segment, but the, the whole visual, the forklift and everything just very different. Never seen it mm-hmm. before. So as a, as a it's teenager, memorable. I'm like. What in the hell? You know, it's very different. It's like you said with the last episode with Mankind. Everything's changing. It's a lot of new stuff we've never seen before. Uh, So that's my segment of the night as well. And since there's no WCW Nitro this week, that makes Raw the de facto real winner this week. As... The ratings are in. The WWF shattered. 
their record, their Monday Night Raw record, by drawing a 4.7 unopposed <laughs> of Nitro for the April 8th edition here of Raw, which featured the Ultimate Warriors return, Shawn Michaels defending the title against Jerry Lawler, and of course, Vader versus Yokozuna. So Vince really stacked the box here. And you see how Vince just kind of lays low. He doesn't really placate or, or play the chess game. Maybe he is playing the chess game here, but you can't really tell he's playing the game. And then out of nowhere, Nitro misses this time, and Vince is like, aha, I got you, pal. And it's <laughs> stacked the box this week. Two major, big, Shawn Michaels defending a title, and then Vader and Yoko, which was really a, one of the headliners, going into Mania before they turn into a six-man. Then, of course, the Warriors back on free TV, and he's going to talk for the first time. So, good job. Yeah, this was – I thought he did an excellent job, and it's almost like a perfect storm. Uh, you had the the April 1st show. That was uh, – you get the mon- the Mania bump, so you know the ratings are going to be I, – I, th- I figured it would be higher than what it was, but I didn't realize the NCAA title game was going on at the same time. So, 2.9 on that night is really good. So he took advantage of really, really stacking this card and letting you know. Like he gave you a little teaser with the Warrior video. Sean was on an interview and said, you're fighting Lawler next week with Diesel on commentary. So you know something's going to happen between those two. Uh, they announced Vader and Yoko. So they definitely had that opportunity where you know you're going to get a good rating because it's coming after Mania. And then um, they capitalized big time. And you can see it here, 4.7 is insane. Yeah, which, how much um, money would Vince pay for for a four point seven right now? Man, I don't even know. Because if you could pop a four point seven right now, you can probably get like six billion dollars for three years or something stupid. <laughs> you know, you can get some ridiculous amount of money from a network if he's pulling in fours and fives these days. Right. Well, you know, uh, Meltzer said that the WWE and AEW are both undervalued right now because he's talking about the ratings that the, the soccer games were doing and how much they just paid for. 50 or maybe it's the hockey games. Uh, I know NBC just paid for what yeah, half of half. Hockey. Yeah. Hockey games. And they're doing like a 10th of whatever raw was doing. So yeah, he was like, Whoa, WWE's very undervalued at that point. Then they should be getting paid way more, which is right scary. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is scary wow. to think, but, uh, well, hockey's bad, but shit. Yeah. So, WWF does the 4.7, which amounted to over 3 million homes. was the second largest audience from start to finish average ever to see pro wrestling TV uh, in the history of cable television, trailing only the 1988 Royal Rumble. It destroyed the all-time Monday Night Raw record. This was a 4.7. Before this, 3.9. Nearly blew it away by an entire point. That. They hit that number 3.9 twice last spring just after WrestleMania for shows that featured The Undertaker versus Jeff Jarrett and Diesel versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh so, God. a.k.a. nothing else was on that night, I would have to imagine. People, people shitting on WWF 95, and it was pulling in fours. Suck it. Accidentally a couple times. Undertaker and I'm Jeff Jarrett drawn 3.9s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Pure coincidence. Oh, man. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, wow. Undervalued. Who would have thought? Yeah, they they literally, li- you know, people say shattered a lot, but they really did shatter their record from a 3.9 to a 4.7 oh, yeah, a year later. Is third the Clash? Uh, It may be. It may be. Clash one? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else happened between 89 and here in 96. I'm, th- I'm thinking of like 88 Rumble. 
Yeah. That, that was the that's the highest. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is this just homes or is it actual rating? This is the rating, four point seven. Oh, you're talking well, that's yeah, three million homes, which like is the, the largest amount of homes. But you remember there's a lot more people with cable in nineteen ninety six yeah. than, you know, back in the back in the nineteen eighties, which is crazy to think that this didn't even topple the rumble, which goes back to the January of eighty eight. There weren't a yeah, lot of people, so right. everybody was watching the Rumble, apparently. I didn't watch it. I was <laughs> one years old. Definitely wasn't watching, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure if I was old enough, I would have been. That's cool. But, yeah, no, that's that's a hell of a number right there. I'm, I'm happy for them because they, they did an excellent job the day after Mania. They established those stars, and, um, yeah, man, they, they deserved this one. Yeah, it was really good booking. The live show against Nitro, they booked all the new guys. Mark Merrow, Mankind got all their new guys over. And this week, they went back to all the old trusty faithfuls. They they got uh, Shawn Michaels out here, obviously, and and the gang. So Vader and Yoko and Warriors back. Yep. So very smart booking by Whoa. Vince McMahon here. Very intelligent. <laughs> Genius, almost. Uh, that wraps it up, man. Another two weeks of WCW and WWF TV for Monday night. The Monday Night War continues on into the middle of April. When we return next week, we'll be doing April 15th and the 22nd. And good news for those who are Hulk Hogan detractors, at least here in the mid-90s. Next week is the last time you're going to see Hulk Hogan on your Monday Night War TV screens for a few months, Steve. To bash at the beach. Why was Nitro off this week? Do you know? I couldn't figure it out. Didn't, couldn't, couldn't find an answer to that. I don't know. Wow. Hmm, interesting. Wasn't in the observer? I didn't see it. Dave's wow. weird about that shit. Sometimes he goes into detail and other weeks it's just nothing. Maybe they'll announce it. I don't know. That's weird. But um we're getting ever so closer to that two hour, you know, two hour debut nitro. And so. remember everybody, when Nitro goes to two hours, this show becomes one week at a time. So we're gonna be doing one week of Nitro and one week of Raw, so we don't really overkill ourselves trying to trying to fit all of that in. <laughs> However, if there's weeks yeah. where one of the shows miss take off, uh, we could probably squeeze in a couple of, of shows of one or whatever like that in there, but a couple weeks worth. But other than that, uh, moving forward, once we get into May, once Nitro does go to two hours, this show, the format of this show is going to be one full week of Nitro and Raw. It's going to give us more time to kind of really go through and dissect those two shows and the way they, they play off of one another. So it's going to be really intriguing. As you know, Scott Hall's right around the corner. He'll be in here in May. Nitro's going to two hours. The format's going to change. A lot more cruiserweights, things of that nature. Yes, so that should be fun. God. I'm looking forward to that. And Raw's just going to keep on <laughs> trucking. Chugging uh, along. Yeah. <laughs> As if nothing's going on. It's going to be it hit or miss. Feels, no like doubt a, about it. It's almost like real life. Vince McMahon lives in a bubble of WWE, and that's it. That's all he knows. That's how Raw feels like right now. It's just like we're just going to keep on trucking the way we always truck, and uh, nothing's going on around us. It's, it's kind of like that gif of the flames with the dude, the dog sitting in the coffee, drinking his coffee, but everything's burning around him, <laughs> but he has no idea everything's burning. That's kind of how Vince is treating this, and that's the smart way to do it. It just keeps going, and uh, per- like I said, you guys go over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Uncensored is already up. For the month of March in 1996 and WrestleMania 12 right around the corner. That'll be up too. Now in April, there is WWF in your house. Good friends, better enemies. Enemies. I'm looking forward to doing that one. I haven't watched that one in a long time. And then uh, there's no pay-per-view for WCW in April, but slamboree around the corner, unfortunately. Uh, but Steve, appreciate you doing this one. We knocked it out pretty fast, I thought, this week. 
And uh, it was a couple of good weeks of TV in general for Raw anyway. Yeah, Raw was excellent. It, it kind of sucks that Nitro was off on the on four eight because it just really feels like something was off at that four one. So I, I, I was looking forward to seeing how they rebounded, but obviously there's no show, so I guess we're gonna have to wait till next week to see how they turn things around. And I think next week is it for Hogan, right? Four fifteen. Yes. We'll say goodbye so, to the holster. All he- and wait, have have you have you watched ahead yet, Steve? Because I have, so I already know what happens. Have you watched ahead? No, I haven't. Oh, I wait have until you see. And found out what exactly is going on here. Wait until you see <laughs> how the Hulkster writes himself out. It's another one of those. This is what we're gonna do, and then he shows up and nah, changed my mind. We're gonna do it this way, brother. And nothing boy, new there. Boy, what a way to book yourself on the way out the door. That's all I gotta say. Can't wait for that one. We'll talk about that next week on Monday Warfare. Steve, appreciate you being here, man. Absolutely. And we appreciate you guys continuing to listen and subscribe to the Monday Warfare show. Hop on over to on Twitter. You can follow us there at Monday Warfare. You can follow our sister show, the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're finishing up NWA in 89 over there right now. We'll be moving on to another promotion another year. We'll be announcing that very soon as well. That should be fun. And uh, you can follow us there on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. So until next time, it's Ray Russell for Steve Eckstead saying thank you, guys. We appreciate you so much for listening, commenting. Hello to everyone out there, all the international listeners. And we'll see you guys again soon on Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. 